Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. I'm a psychiatrist. I study the mind and brain in its physical and cultural contexts. Meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity provide clues to how our minds and our brains connect deeply to our bodies, other people, nature, and our environment. Meaningful coincidences seem to occur in all aspects of life. You just need to expect them. You can pre-order my new book, Meaningful Coincidences, which is due out in September. The full title is Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. The order links are in the text below. And please do subscribe to our channel here. It really helps us get the words out about meaningful coincidences. I met our next guest, Juliet Trail, at an improv show where I played Dr. Coincidence, which is another story. She had helped organize the event and we became good friends. One day I was hiking in the nearby forest and my tree friends told me to connect her with Amalia, another good friend of mine, who needed help I could not give her. The trees gave me a deadline of a few weeks from then. I made the intro, and Julia has been a huge help to Amalia, and they are very, very good friends. Then a few years later, Julia had quit her job at the University of Virginia, and I needed to help. I needed help with getting the coincidence organization established. Thank goodness Juliet agreed to help me because now we are a nonprofit established in the state of Virginia and looking ahead to some amazing opportunities. Thank you for being there, Juliet. You're welcome. My pleasure. <laughs> Seems like it was a well-orchestrated dance looking back. It feels it, that way. It does feel. Looking, while it was going <laughs> kind of herky-jerky in the middle of it. Yeah, it's like sort of in, in something and they were like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> Juliet is a PhD and is managing director of the Coincidence Project, uh, which is dedicated to eliminating the invisible currents that connect and unify us by educating the public about meaningful coincidences in order to inspire a leap forward in the evolution of human self-awareness, both individually, interpersonally, and collectively. She is also the founder of Courageous Compassion Connection, dedicated to bringing contemplative practices and approaches to diverse people in service of resilience, wholeness, healing, and compassion for all, being, for all beings. She builds upon 19 years of experience in higher education. Her doctoral research focused on network enablers, highly empowering individuals who enable the success of others across their professional roles and networks. Juliet is a trained mindfulness, self-compassion teacher and serves on the board and instructor team of Instill Mindfulness. She is also a poet and a singer 
who explores the intersection of creativity and contemplation in her two bands, Unheard Sirens Incorporated and Phoenix Noir. Juliet, welcome back to the show. <laughs> it certainly hasn't been a long time since we saw each other, so it's good to, <laughs> it's good to see you in this context. So uh, one of the questions that we're going to get to uh, as part of this is the relationship between compassion and meaningful coincidences. And tell us a little bit about that, and then please tell us, uh, uh, begin to tell us your uh, very interwoven uh, coincidence story. Yes, yeah, so it's been wonderful working together. We're coming up on our two-year anniversary of two years. having these two years in May. Yeah, we're almost there. Um, and it's been like a two-year-long conversation of how do these things connect, and are they related? How and why are they related? So meaningful coincidences clue us in that there's way more going on in reality things are so low in probability that happen at a specific moment in time within all these contextual factors and there's this opportunity presented by a moment of coincidence and often if you seize upon it opens a doorway to kind of getting into the flow of what's possible and more coincidences continue to unfold and it gives us this clue that reality is very complicated and that it's beautiful, that it's perhaps purposeful or meaningful in many ways. And all of that points to all of us are part of something, that we are deeply interconnected all the time. And the coincidences are most illustrated. And other times it falls back out of our consciousness or emotionally we can't sense it, that we're really connected to nature, we're connected to animals, we're connected to places around the globe and people around the globe. We're still connected to people that we connected with decades previously, years before, even briefly. We can still have incredibly uh, meaningful chance encounters with unlikely people and unlikely places, you know, outside of our, our normal uh, patterns and routines, you know, going traveling often run across people that it's so unexpected. And it just gives us evidence or, or points to a, a very interconnected universe for me that is full of more meaning and the coincidences there are a lot of types of coincidences one is that's common as people will think of someone and then they'll hear from them it used to be often a phone call or bumping into them in person very unexpectedly in some sort of random or unexpected seemingly random or unexpected way um, and now with the electronic era, it's all different manner of interactions. It may be that they suddenly contact you through some social media or they send an email um, or something like that. So it's as if the thought initiates the reconnection. So that's seemingly telepathic, that there's something connected between you and that other person and your thought causes a, 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 another thought arising in them. Oh yeah, I should reach out to them. You have, and then they tend to initiate the contact, even though you've only had the thought to do so. So I think that also shows us that we are, we're just woven together. And um, we even might have, you know, tunnels of the mind, reality tunnels or mind tunnels between ourselves and those that we've previously connected with. And I think, you know, channels and mediums and shaman and deeply um, mystical people they have channels to people they haven't even met yet. They're so open and capable of being contacted that it's kind of like an open line and other things can come in that they didn't even know to call for. 
and say, hey, I've got information or I'm getting in touch in some way. So those are my, my initial thoughts on how this points to a, you know, a deeply, deeply meaningful and connected reality in which we exist. And compassion arises for me automatically when I feel that sense of deep connection. And um, there's a, a term that's used in Buddhism sometimes called interbeing. And Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese uh, Buddhist teacher, he talks a lot about interbeing. And it's that we are part of a shared life, the life of the planet, all of the beings alive yeah. that ha have been and will be alive. Yeah. We are, we are interbeing in the midst of a larger story of life. And we are like cells of the larger organism. So interbeing is, is recognizing or even deeply feeling how much we are interbeing. We are part of a larger story than just ourselves. We are pieces of the bigger story. And coincidences to me illustrate that. And I can feel it because the magic and kind of wonder and silliness and inspiration that comes through having coincidences, it all kind of gets to this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I am part of something so much bigger than myself. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I get it a little bit more clearly that uh, this interconnectedness among and between people, not just people, but the trees, the plants, the birds that you like so much, uh, the animals that you keep around, uh, the, the earth itself, um, that we are part of that being. And yeah. uh, as you know, I've called the human part of that the collective human organism, and that be able to recognize that through coincidences, and then to have compassion, somehow do something with the recognition of the connection. So I think that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about. But let's go, let's go to uh, your interwoven story about about compassion and coincidence, because your story is about how coincidences were meaningfully involved with your connecting to your heart work, your compassionate heart work your your desire to teach self-compassion and compassion for others so that's yeah. that's the starting point but we want to be able to get to like how more deeply involved meaningful coincidences are with compassion so please miss trail tell us your story <laughs> oh i'm even dr trail although i, I rarely oh, bring home the point oh, i should have tried that one i should have tried that you're right <laughs> Dr. Trail, tell us. Your oh story. my, so so horrible. <laughs> so I um, was fortunate enough to be working my last several years in higher education in the field of contemplative pedagogy and practice, helping to bring all aspects of contemplation into university life. And a specific focus of my own work in that was partnering with faculty to explore the different kinds of con contemplation that are possible in the classroom might be in law, might be in ecology, might be sociology, could be nursing, could be the arts, could be writing. Um, so uh, UVA is, is very fortunate to have a wonderful Center for Teaching Excellence. Once a year, sometimes twice a year, they host um, a course design institute for a week. I ran a special call for proposals that were contemplative in nature. And then we sponsored the attendance of 18 faculty, but there were two different weeks. So I was in the first week that year with 12 of the faculty. I recruited a colleague to help me and we worked intensively with groups of six all week long. And then there were free spaces where you could work with other faculty and they could request your time. 
And all week they worked on one course. They'd all put in a proposal around a course that they wanted to either update or a totally new course they wanted to design from the ground up. The 12 faculty that were with me that week all had contemplative ideas about those courses. And I was there to help explore what was possible, um, share resources that I was already aware of about how this, how this is able to be done in the classroom and um, really improves the learning experience and, and really looks at students as whole people. So in the first day, as people were going around and having opportunity to say where they were from and why they were there, um, a professor from another university spoke up and his idea was to design a new course around world traditions of contemplation for a department of sociology at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. And this course design institute is 95%, 90% um, faculty from our home institution, which was UVA. And so it was like, oh, someone from another school, that's rare. And then as he spoke, his idea was exactly the kind of thing that my faculty were pursuing. And he was assigned to another table, another group of six with a different facilitator. So I reached out to him and just said, hey, in these free spaces during the program, why don't we make sure to work together? Because I'm specializing in doing this. I'd love to help uh, support the, the course that you're designing. So the very first coincidence of this longer story was this moment in May of 2017, when I'm listening to faculty around this room of 60 people introduce themselves, and this professor from another university speaks up, my colleague is Dingani Matetwa, and says, I have this amazing idea about world contemplation, and I was immediately like, you do? I have those ideas. I want to help mentor your, you know, facilitate this course getting designed and offered. So that, that's the first pause in our story, is that coincidence of his presence that particular week. So the, the conference was not about compassion, teaching compassion. And I want to make clear about that. The conference was about something different from that. And also the weird thing was that it was all UVA faculty there, except for this guy from, you know, not too far away in Richmond, we're in Charlottesville, uh, but he shows up. Uh, and, and that's the kind of um, interweaving that I get a kick out of. It's like, why did he show up to this thing? Yeah, we don't know that probably, but something, no. something, and this is where this uh, human GPS thing that you know I like to talk about. You can understand he felt there was something valuable for him to go from Richmond to to U University of Virginia for this thing that wasn't about compassion, but he brought up as he talked about it exactly what you were about to do and wanted to do and were doing and have been doing. So yeah. he, he says, hey, I mirror your mind, but I don't yeah. know it. I don't know it. Yeah. I mirror your mind, Dr. Trail. And I, I and you say, hey, you, <laughs> I want to talk to you. <laughs> hey, I want to yeah. talk to you because we got a mind mirror going on here and I think we can do something together. So the, yeah. I just wanted to talk about the oddity of this guy showing up and yeah. with the thing that fit with you. And that's really what the coincidence is. I mean, he showed up, but the coincidence yeah. is he showed up with a mindset like yours. Yeah. That uh, kind of topic I was there to help foster and grow and nurture. I was like, I am here for your topic. I didn't know you were coming, but I am here for that topic because yeah, Course Design Institute is any professor designing any course, nothing to do with contemplation per se. That was just my little subfield where I'm like, I'm a specialist in this. 
I want to help nurture those particular courses. And then there he was with one. Good. Good. I'm glad you clarify that. It was generic course design. Yeah. And so he comes up with the course that you are trying to develop or have been developing and have been developing. And yeah. Why did you show up here? Well, we don't know that. And that's part of the fun of all of this is yeah. that the that something drew him kind of like you were talking about earlier about the I thought of somebody and they call me. Uh, yeah. And somehow that came together. And this is a common theme mm -hmm. in coincidences, especially in people making things happen as you are, where yeah. two minds come together. And yes, it clicks and they don't know why they got together. Yeah. They, they don't know why they're there together. Yeah. But then How did we get to meet then, you then. know, of all the times right then. And then we couldn't miss each other because of the coincidence. The coincidence of the topic meant, I, I feel like I was meant to meet him in many, many ways. He's been a super important friend and colleague in my life now. And that, that coincidence was like a magnet brought us together right away. Beautiful. Beautiful. So that, that's, I mean, my, my life has been something like that with getting stuff happening uh, in all kinds of ways, especially having to do with meeting you, which is a little different, but same idea is like, oh, hey. Yep. Juliet, you want to help me with this? He said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Over yeah, you said, hey, how does, how does compassion relate to your story? And it's like, well, I saw him with a new idea. He wasn't sure. He was struggling a little bit. How do you do this? It was a very ambitious course he wanted to design from scratch. So he hadn't taught it before. And I was immediately, I wanted to be there and to make the struggle less. I wanted to help him make it design it smoothly, efficiently, without a lot of struggle, without taking a long time, it can take a long time to figure out how to embody a new concept and create a whole semester long uh, course out of it. And that's the definition of compassion. So compassion is um, being aware of the struggle or stress or suffering of another being and wanting to do something to alleviate that stress. So that's the most fundamental definition of compassion is like, oh, I see you struggling. Let me help. How, what can I do? That's very, compassionate. It's most basic. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. And very nice. Good. So that's that's uh, coincidence number one. Uh, and we have uh, at least three more to go through. Or there might be even a little bit more uh, in telling this story. So and let's emphasize for our, our audience that this is kind of typical of the way the network enabler student that you are. The, so everybody knows that Juliet likes to be the hub of a lot of different webs, just one of her things. Uh, she enables people to connect with each other. So this, this is just another version of that, uh, of what you do and what you do in other ways. And I've done not quite as much of that, but the same idea. So let's go on to coincidence number two, Juliet. Yeah, so coincidence number two is that... Um, the unit that I was working for after this course design institute. So over the following 12 months, it ad adopted um, a program called the Dalai Lama Fellowship. And that had existed for about eight years before this adoption as a small foundation based in California uh, and had worked with, the founders had worked with the Dalai Lama to develop this curriculum for change makers between the ages of 20 and 35 from around the world who are doing amazing projects to make the world a better place. 
but they didn't want to be a small freestanding foundation. They wanted to be embedded in a larger, more stable organization. So over um, a multi-year period that really coalesced the next 12 months, they became um, a new program of the unit that I worked for. And we did not yet have in place a full-time program manager. So it was like, hey, kid, you're good at a lot of stuff. Why don't you be the program manager until one day we have one? So it just became one of the aspects of my job in the coming year. And for the next two full years, I worked with um, cycles of onboarding new Dalai Lama fellows. And then they would come to us for a week in the summer and we would have the opportunity to do leadership training and especially a lot of deep contemplative work about knowing your purpose and having the grounding and the clarity and the emotional kind of regulation necessary to do difficult work in the world. Um, often in war-torn or um, impoverished areas uh, around the world, in Australia, Africa, um, India, in the Southeast and East peninsulas, continents, and some from Europe, South America, Central America. So emphasis on not US and the Western Europe, um, but the whole rest of the globe. In the process of getting to know some of the fellows, I became particularly close to, to two of them. And each of them, over the following year, I met them in 2018. And over the 2018 to 2019 year, they both became really good friends of mine, Adi Mavangeri from Zimbabwe and Dijua Sylvain from Rwanda. Each of these friends said, I want you to come to my home. I want to see my country and teach and do work with me. This was the same thing Dingani had said to me at the Course Design Institute 2017. He said, you should come. I teach a study abroad course every year and take students from BCU to South Africa. You could come as a guest instructor. But I thought, Africa, I've never even envisioned what it would be like to, to travel to Africa. It feels so far. And what would that do? I don't know. And then I became close to Addy and he said, you should come to Zimbabwe. I look it up on the map. They're adjacent. They're right next to each other. Then I become really close to Dejois. He and I start hosting virtual gatherings that we called compassion parties. And we would have people come online and Zoom and explore compassion in Ghana and Virginia or Rwanda, Virginia. And through that process of starting to do work together, he said, I really want you to come to Rwanda and teach here and work with some of the students that I know here. And the, the, it's a little bit further, but you can take a plane from one area and get up to sort of more central Africa where Rwanda is located. Three invitations was enough. One from Dengani, the initial one the year before, felt so big, I had no idea how to do a trip to Africa. But then Addy also invited me and then we could teach through his learning centers, learning factory in Zimbabwe. Then Dijua invited me. There was a school there that his good friend runs and founded that we could work in. And suddenly uh, something that seemed insurmountable seemed very feasible. The trip kind of put itself together. And I, so with, yeah. you know, within that one year period, it went from one invitation to three. And I couldn't, I could kind of not do the first and be like, I don't know. But by the third invitation, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> now I'm looking at the geography of this. Uh, and you met uh, Adi and Dijois, the yeah. second person at the Dalai Lama uh, gathering, as I understand yes. it. So yes. these guys are showing up again at a conference where you're attending. And how did you how did you, did you find each other so that they could say, we're doing compassion in Africa, uh, come teach with us? How did they find you at the conference? Yes, um, with Dijois and I, it was literally the first day of this summer assembly program conference, which is called 
Dalai Lama Summer Assembly. We happened to have lunch together, just the two of us. Happened to have happened lunch. to have lunch. happened to ha happened to have lunch together. How did you happen to happen to have lunch together? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think we might have been at the little buffet serving, and he might have looked up with his very sweet, you know, open self, and just said, "Will you have lunch with me?" Like I think he might have just randomly, you know, invited me. Um, so you really don't remember. No, how, how that happened. Uh, no. It's a kind of a blur, but uh, he might have, he might not have. You, I mean, a lot of times people sit down at a table by themselves and the other person joins them for various yeah. reasons. I mean, I yeah. like I like the guys who the guy who shows up at the wedding of his ex-girlfriend late uh, and uh, he misses the wedding, but he is there for the dinner and there's one seat left. He sits next to he sits down and the guy next to him and he get talking and the guy next to him gives him a job. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I like those. Um, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of them like that. So it's that sitting down next to each other thing that seems yeah. to be another generic pattern. Uh, yeah. And we we don't know how that happened, but that's may illustrate it. So how did you yeah. meet the second person then? Oh, yeah. So. Well, I will say of that first lunch conversation yeah. with Dijwa, um, he was very good at asking questions. And he asked me basically, what are you all about? And I was like, compassion. I'm all about compassion. I just want to figure that out. I don't know what it means. I just love it. And I want to do more of it. I want to share it with others. And he got so excited. And about a month after that experience, he'd gone home to Africa and he sent out an email to people in the program with thanks. And he mentioned that his conversation with me the first day was perhaps the most important moment of that entire week for him because he realized his mission is also compassion. And he felt so connected when I articulated that even though I didn't know what it was gonna look like, I knew what was driving me by that point. And it, it just enlivened something in him. And that's why we started talking about creating these compassion parties to do these Zoom gatherings across countries and bring people together to connect specifically to explore compassion and share stories of compassion with one another. So that was the, the seed for Dejoie and I. Then with Addy, um, he was also at that assembly, but we didn't, we didn't connect in that sort of heartful moment um, during the assembly. He got a grant to return and do some work in Washington, D.C. Um, a few months later, and he was so close by that he could come and spend two more days at our university. And so they're like, hey, Juliet can organize your whole schedule and work with you to figure out everybody you should meet with to help your idea go. Because he's doing this learning factory idea of um, digital learning for, for students across Zimbabwe. And we have really good instructional designers doing online digital learning projects. So I organized his calendar. And whenever he had downtime, we hung out because <laughs> I was his host to get him from thing to thing all around. And in the process of those two days, we just became much more connected. And it was that point in this few months later connection of just him and I that he was like, wow, there's so much we could do together. I really think that you should come to Zimbabwe. And then in the intervening time until we figure out a trip, we should just be exploring how we might collaborate. So that was how that second one came together differently. I, I, I didn't hear his interest in compassion, the second one. So he is interested in lots of topics and was originally trained as an engineer, but he was very interested that I could bring a contemplative approach because he's trying to do English and math 
and science and history. And he sees that the students in, in his country struggle a lot with stress and hardship. And he thought a contemplative approach to those traditional subjects would be great or a freestanding um, offering. And so he, why he doesn't teach uh, compassion as a subject area, he wanted to infuse it into work he was doing in Zimbabwe because he thought it could really assist people that are dealing with stress or trauma. And that's one of your major uh, thrusts is to get compassion out into the pedagogy, into the yeah. teaching. So that really yeah. fit with you also. But this yeah. didn't just happen at the assembly. I want to be clear no. about that. He just happened again to be in Washington, two and a half hours from Charlottesville. And he just happened to have a couple of days and the, somehow the, you got put together with him because of the, your, your involvement with the Mindfulness uh, Institute, I guess. It wasn't yeah. he contacted you. It was somebody else. Right who then arranged for you to like show him around. And again, yep. in the interstices, in the in-between mm -hmm. things of showing him around, come to Africa and teach compassion as part of education. Okay, yep. I mean, this, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this because the stories are very clear to you and right. there's a lot to them. And you couldn't include all of them in what you were writing to me about it. But it's these kind of happenstance, how does this happen kind of thing that uh, is part of the fun of all of this is that there looks like a dance. There looks like yeah. an interweaving. There looks like a, now you do this, I do this, and we come together. And it, it, we don't know how that works. But I like to think of it, again, as two people with similar ideas who need each other. And it's not just romance where that happens. It's like with things like this. These are kind of romantic like things where you both just, yes, we need to be together. That's, that's yeah. great. That's great. So let's move on to uh, coincidence number three, Juliet. Okay. So, um, so then in July of 2019, I traveled to Africa Whoa. and was able to line up. So in, you know, in, in kind of two full years from Dingani and I talking for the first time, um, he had said, I have this feeling in that first conversation, this is important to the coincidence. Um, I have this feeling you should travel with me to my home. I want to show you where I'm from. I'm from the Eastern coast, this beautiful place called the Healers Bay. And Eastern the healers coast, of, East, Eastern of coast. South Africa. Of South Africa, thank you. Yeah, uh, Eastern coast of South Africa called Healers Bay in the, the Zulu, um, KwaZulu Natal um, part of South Africa. And it's, an, it's a peninsula. You have to hike through an estuary, a tidal estuary, and then over another hilltop to get to this beach. And so it's a long way from the shoreline and you can stand on the hilltop and look back and see into um, KwaZulu-Natal area. You can look out and see into the ocean. And he described it to me and I felt myself transported by him telling me the story of the beauty of where he was from. And it was like, just in listening, I could, I could feel myself being able to be there. And I get, um, I get the feeling of how beautiful it is just hearing you describe it. So it, it's really yeah. something. It's yeah, really it's a powerful area. I felt like it just like his love of it came directly into me. And I thought, I do want to be there. I do want to go where he's from and see that. It sounds 
so amazing. And then he said something interesting too, in that same conversation, he said, I think you're supposed to go to South Africa to meet the Sangomas and they're supposed to meet you. And the Sangomas are the traditional healers, the indigenous traditional healers of South Africa and Southern Africa. And um, they might be called shaman. They don't use that word shaman, they use Sangoma. That's their word for it. Um, but that's probably the closest one in our language. And so that had sat with me in the, in the back of my mind because my original contemplative training was um, handed and taught to others in part of the rainbow tribe, taught to others beyond Native American identities, but it was Lakota Sioux elders that had initiated the teaching in vision quests. So my original training and contemplative practices were um, more indigenous or shamanistic in nature based on Native American tradition, kind of updated and modified for the modern world. So it really resonated with me, the notion to meet the Sangomas of his country. So July, 2019, I come and for a week and a half, I'm a guest instructor on the study abroad course. And we're traveling across Eastern South Africa to various locations, working with schools and hospitals and the students of the course, but also we were helping others as we traveled. Um, and we had a, a free day in his home area. And he was occupied with administrative needs of the course, but his brother still lives there. So myself and two of the other students uh, traveled out to Healers Bay. Um, and also my, my travel companion by this point in the trip was Laura Lee Gulledge, a good friend of mine who's an artist. She joined me about a week into my experience and traveled the second two weeks with me. We taught together. So Laura Lee had just arrived and she and I with two of the students traveled out with uh, Stimela, Dingani's brother, to Healers Bay. And they were all, they met up with a group of, of young men and the college students were thrilled to meet up with a group of handsome young men with a soccer ball. Everybody went down the beach in a group and they were all playing soccer, but I wasn't feeling called to that. So I walked along the beach by myself and was just staring out at the ocean um, and reveling in the fact that two years later, here I am. I've, I've felt transported and now I've arrived. Um, and it was un, uh, just unbelievable to me to be there. And a man walks up to me and stands next to me. And he says, you know, I'm a Sangoma. And I was standing, you know, two hours hike back on the, on the shore. And my two nephews are over there playing soccer with the young ladies. And they were supposed to come to Healers Bay and collect the waters. We use the water of Healers Bay um, for our, our magic, for our work. And he was from the Western coast. He had driven all the way across South Africa that day with the young man and his family to help him um, to come and collect the waters that he would use for the next year or more in his sacred work. And he said, I wasn't gonna come all the way to the ocean because this hike through the estuary and over the mountain is hard for me. I'm really struggling. And he was having some issues with um, the circulation and health um, that were making it difficult for him to walk. But he said, my ancestors would not leave me alone. They were like, you got to get out there. You're supposed to go to the beach this time. You can't stay on the coast. You've got to make the hike. We know it's painful and it's not feeling good for you to walk right now, but you got to go. And uh, he argued with them for a while. And one of the ways that Sangomas are called to their work in their tradition is that the ancestors begin to speak to them. It's a very, very fundamental part of what Sangomas do is communicating with the ancestors. And um, so the ancestors had this idea that he needed to go to the beach. So he walked up to me and, he, and as we spoke together, we talked for an hour or more. He said, 
I'm sure it was to meet you. I was supposed to come to the beach. They knew that we needed to talk. And he was able to tell me things about the health ailment he was struggling with that I thought were likely connected to his diet. They have a very high red meat diet um, in the traditional eating in South Africa. So I talked to him a little bit about maybe shifting to fish and more vegetarian um, and getting away from red meat. I thought that might really help with some of his issues. And he was greatly relieved because he hadn't been aware of some of the things I could share about that. And then he said, I want to do something for you too. And I shared a little bit about some of my own dilemmas of where I was in my life at that point. He before said, you, before you do that, Juliet, uh, I, so, I, so I keep, so I don't want to remember more than two things. Um, okay. The two, the two things that I want to get to and then go on to what you just want to be able to say uh, yeah. is, is that this guy drives miles and miles and miles to get to this place to get the waters and then the ancestors like push him to get onto the beach and it's again a lot like some romance stories that i've heard of two people meeting on a beach one where yeah. where she where she's like on the beach by herself nobody else around and he comes riding up on a motorcycle and uh <laughs> they're married with and they they get i mean things things happen. I mean, to be able to generalize from the romantic stories to this one is what I'm learning again to be able to do with with this. It's like, uh, it's, it's, again, a kind of romantic thing in a very generic way um, yeah. that he was told by his ancestors, we would say by our intuition, uh, yeah. without labeling it like that, to like uh, something told me to go to this beach and then he starts talking to the only person that's right there happens to be you and yep. then you and i thought this is a beautiful part of this you get to say to him here's some western ideas that could help you in your apparent medical and your medical problem so that he gets some potential healing from you as a result of showing up. So it's not just about great work. I mean, he, he yeah. comes to another shaman, let me say, and says, yeah. uh, and you say, oh, maybe this will help you. I mean, that, that's, yeah. it's the West meets, uh, let me say East or, or indigenous uh, or Western um, meets indigenous. And on that beach to hear that coming together like that's a, a beautiful thing. So yeah. We, Please, I just wanted to comment yeah. on that. Uh, so, so absolutely. Please, again, it's coming together surprisingly. Uh, yeah. So yeah. please, please tell us. Please go on yeah, with your so story. The, um, yeah. So he said uh, he listened to some of the things I was uh, struggling with because I had a huge decision to make um, about what the trip meant to me being in Africa, being invited to travel abroad and um, to teach contemplation, to spread and share compassion. Um, that was, you know, I used my own leave time to make it possible to do a trip like this. And within the university, I was kind of bound to certain projects that give you only certain degrees of freedom. And so it's like, I was really trying to decide in that trip, like, do I stay or do I go now? <laughs> Song by the Clash. Um, I was feeling called to be in the world more and not just at one institution. And he said, well, of course, he didn't know the answer to that, but he would do a prayer for me to find my way 
and a ceremony. So he went into the waters and then he was all speaking in his own language, which I couldn't follow at all. So he did a, uh, an entire blessing ceremony for me to be, um, I think, freed of anything holding me back from my past and able to proceed, you know, in, in a way with blessings, you know, with clarity uh, to find the way forward. And it was a beautiful long ceremony that he did. I couldn't understand any of it, but I could feel um, the depth of his commitment to what he was doing, to how he was praying and that he was standing in the waters of Healers Bay delivering this, this ceremony to me when he's from the Western coast of South Africa. And he now we're standing on the Eastern coast of South Africa and um, the exchange of it blew me away that I've been able to offer something about the health ailment he was struggling with. And then he was able to offer something to this sort of spiritual existential element I was struggling with. We both had something to give each other. It felt so balanced. And um, I didn't have anything to write with, so I couldn't even get his name and his you know, contact information. I've wanted so much, like I hope he'll one day see this episode and be like, I was that Sangoma who traveled with my nephews all the way across the country and met that, that weird lady on the beach uh, because I'd love to thank him because I felt that his ceremony um, for me mattered. I really felt liberated by this trip. What and, did, it, what did that ceremony do for you? Uh, more specifically, you, you had to make, you had to be unburdened. You had to decide what, what did it do for you? Well, um, after I returned from Africa, I felt more clear and more confident in heeding my own intuition, which was take your work out into the world, expand, take a risk. It's unknown exactly what it would look like to do it without an institution to ground it. Um, and it's hard to make your living doing something non-traditional economically. I didn't know how it would all work out. So I had to have a leap of faith. And I felt like he gave me more courage to take the leap of faith. The courage to be compassionate, I guess, <laughs> which is the Since name that's of your... the work I want to do. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally the courage to just like, I don't know how it's going to look, but I'm just going to go out in the world. Yeah, I, I went to another conference reason, recently. Um, and it was mostly people from universities and someone I met said, oh, tell me where you're from, you know, where do you work? And I was like, um, my work is in the world. And then she was like, wow, I've never heard anybody say that. That's so interesting. Cause I couldn't say I come from this institution or this one organization or this one place. Um, because now I do a, a variety of things. And I was like, I, I work in the world. That's, that's my home institution is the world. That's where I do my work. <laughs> Well, I, I would like to call it Earth University, but just uh, just that's because yeah. I, I like the I'm still like recovering. That I enjoy that concept with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the world is in a, it's another way of seeing it. But what I think it's funny play with words that the Courageous Con Compassion Connection is the name of your organization. And here this person on the east coast of south africa allows you to embrace what you are embracing more fully is to yeah. have the courage to go out with your compassion and see what happened and yep. that's uh and that's one of the ways that you got uh, together with me is because you were out there and you were you were looking and uh, you were and i needed you and here you are so yep 
thank you, Sagoma from South Africa. <laughs> yes, thank for, you. <laughs> for this. I wonder if this will show up because last night I found my postcard I bought for myself of that place. It does show up. Uh, there's yeah. a little bit of, put, put it up a, a little, little bit, bit higher. A little bit of distortion. A little higher. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's trying to read for me because of my background. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's good. Right there. Right there. Beautiful. So you can see the beach towards this finger, and then you can see the ridge, and there's both Greenlands and, and Sandy Beach, and then behind it, you see the dark blue of the estuary. And there's all these um, different bird colonies and, and migration patterns that, that thrive because of that space amazing place well the birds must have attracted your attention also but, <laughs> but that's a that's a different that's story. A story that's a different story so uh let's let's uh, uh so, so let's let's go on with with coincidence number four in this saga of uh juliet and compassion well, you know just just to put a nice bow on it i made that ceremony and that exchange with the sangoma number four meeting Dingani at the Course Design Institute, number one, and then meeting Adi from Zimbabwe and Dejwa from Rwanda, the one, two, three invitations. I said, okay, third time, I know I got to go. And then the fourth was when I got to go, here I am at the place that Dingani told me I was meant to go on a trip where I was supposed to meet the Sangomas and they needed to meet me, which was an honor for him to say, you need to meet them and they need to meet you. And I didn't know what that might mean. And then there I meet this amazing Sangoma and I felt like he did need to meet me and I certainly needed to meet him. And so it, it kind of, that was the full circle. The fourth coincidence was the Sangoma. So it, it, the amazing and maybe beautiful thing about this series is that it all led up to your meeting the Sangoma on the beach. And, and there's something about just being by yourself in the yeah. broad expanse of sand and sea and and birds yeah. where uh, there's no other like stuff happening uh human wise that uh opens you up anyway but there he is in the water praying for you a ceremony for you and you become unburdened Mm -hmm. by all your you know, it still was a hard thing for you to make the transition let's not make a let's not say let's not say it was easy uh and it shouldn't be and it needn't be because you got to like go through some stuff to be able to make it happen and you have and you are and you're flourishing or beginning to flourish is where i'd call it i mean I, there's a lot more for you to be able to do i know that and you know that too but you're beginning to flourish and you're confident in the way that he was trying to help you become confident your your courageousness your courage about compassion is being able to like be nurtured and developed now yeah. And, and when I got to Rwanda, the last leg of the trip with Dejwa um, and his, his partner, now his wife, Clarice, um, you know, we had a conversation one night driving back, I think, from visiting with Clarice's family in the countryside back to Kigali, to the capital. And, and Dejwa was saying, Juliet, what do you want to do next? You have to do so much. You have to do more. What do you want to do? And I had to voice that thing that I had needed the courage for. I want my work to be in the world. I want to do this. 
I want to be with you uh, driving down the slopes of Rwanda back into Kigali to go, you know, teach at the school tomorrow with your friend. Um, this, I want this. And I had to claim it, you know, and, and Dijois, he like made me say it out loud. And he was like, you can do this. You need to do this. You have to do this. Like you, this is amazing. The world needs you. Like Juliet needs to be in the world. The world needs Juliet. Like it was just such a reassuring conversation. And he, and, and it, we had to voice what was not expressed in words with the Sangoma. Now it comes to the surface and I have to claim it in words. And then my friend mirrored to me, you can do it. You're going to be okay. This is what's meant to be. And it, and that really is kind of was the, the final aspect of giving me the courage, you know, was my friend Desjois and his confidence in me. I was like, wow, well, if you believe in me, I guess I can believe in me like this too. And but sometimes that's a little hard to do to totally believe in ourselves to take a big risk. And what would you, what were the words that you had to say to yourself? that he made you say as you were driving that back. I want to work for more than one single institution. I want the freedom to work independently so that I can pursue projects um, all over the world with the people that want the work. I want to be able to say yes, you know, when the right when the right invitations come, I want I want the freedom and the permission that I give myself permission to say yes, I will work on this project, which is what I did a short time later with you, a coincidence project. <laughs> oh, that was a that was a short time later, huh? huh? Well, uh, from July 2019 to May 2020, so less than a year. Yeah, less than a year, and it was a turbulent year for you for sure. Uh, it was turbulent. And then we were, we'd met many times, several times in that turbulent year, as you told me what you were going through and the stuff was at the same Chinese restaurant, Peter Chang's. Yeah. <laughs> our spot, go our, hang out, <laughs> talk spot. about what we're, that's on our mind. <laughs> that's right. And that's what, uh, so, so I, I get a clearer idea. I mean, I'm really glad to uh, hear this. Now, as we're coming to the, to the end of our time together on the show, how does the, how do the Coincidence Project and Courageous Compassion Connection, how do their visions uh, and missions uh, overlap with each other and come together in you particularly, but <laughs> generally? Yeah, so as meaningful coincidences show people that we're part of this greater web of life and that magical, amazing things are possible, um, we can experience deeply this interbeing that we are woven together with other life. So to harm any other being is to harm yourself. Interbeing at its fundamental level is we are part of, of a single, for me, Gaia-based or organism, a plant-based organism of all the life, not just the humans. So we must behave differently. We must make changes to the, the systems that are destroying the environment and that are harming other humans, but all other life, not just the humans. We're leaving so many um, resources misspent and squirreled away for a tiny, tiny percentage of people that could never use those resources. They're just stockpiled and wasted for the point of being stockpiled and wasted. And that's just silly. And so when you have meaningful coincidences that let you 
experience the lived reality that we are connected to each other. We are connected to the land. We are connected to the animals. We are connected to the humans. We've never met half a world away. Um, we need to spread these resources out. We need to make changes to the systems so that we have a more sustainable path to living together in, on this planet. And, and those are convergent. Now, the goal of the Coincidence Project is to illuminate the hidden currents that connect and unify us. So those are the coincidences. They illuminate, you know, you're on a dark road at night and then the headlight illuminates that the road was there. And it's like that. We're sort of in this sort of fog of existing and re responding to things and this coincidence comes and it's like, it lights a path and you're like, oh my God, this is what's happening. This is possible. Um, and it, it shows you a way of like, yes, we are meaningfully deeply connected to the other life on this planet. And with courageous compassion connection, it's like, so now what, you know, we're deeply connected to, uh, to other life. What are you going to do about that? Because knowing it is amazing. Knowing it is the first step. You cannot act without knowing it. And I think meaningful coincidences help us know it, not just here, but like in every cell of our body. When you have amazing coincidences happen, you are so alive. You're so awake. And you're just really present, you know, and you know that we are connected to others. You know that there's this notion I call interbeing at play. And Courageous Compassion Connection would say, so here are tools for us to have the courage to get together, to connect in larger ways so that we can change these systems that create harm instead of harmony. That's <laughs> at the O-N-Y. We don't want harm. We want harmony it's possible to distribute the resources of this planet so that all beings can thrive there that's are plenty good, of resources that's a good line harmony, yeah. harmony. did you just make that up or did you have that i did before? i, I just nice, made that up nice one <laughs> i sounded like it I a little did. improv in the morning so you did it <laughs> yes i mean i think we'll hear that one again that that's that's a that's a good summary uh of yeah what we're both doing and I didn't I didn't really get it about how the two fit together. I don't know if you yeah. just I don't know if you just made that up today, but it's like it sounds like that's been in your head. It's like uh, we illuminate through the coincidence project and then we do something about it with uh, courageous compassion connections. Hey, far out, yeah. man. That's that's really uh, that's yeah. really cool. I mean, it's been great talking with you in this way because we got more formal <laughs> about it. Um, yeah. And, and I, I, let's let's end it with a, with the, a question I can ask you about letting letting the, our audience know something a little more personal about you. Uh, you know, besides you got a couple of dogs with big ears uh, that are Roxy being the name of one of them, and. <laughs> And you got Daisy hanging around, bossing him around, uh, another little puppy um, who's 13 years old, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell us about you, Juliet Trail, more personally? Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It's not, hard, not easy to stump you. It really isn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, being so invested in compassion feels pretty personal already <laughs> uh, because it, it makes me feel vulnerable to confess it, you know, to claim it. Oh, really? Uh, to proclaim it. 
um, yeah, I mean, I know I've been rehearsing for a few years now, but I should still be a little nervous about it. Like um, tomorrow afternoon, I'm help put together an Earth Day conscious dance for our community in Charlottesville. And um, I'm so excited because ecological awareness, I've realized is, is, in the, is in the center of my compassion work. And I've known it because I've put, you know, in the, the language for courageous compassion connection, um, that it's for all beings. But I think I'm going to eventually have to work with the language to make it even more clear that for me, you know, it is the earth and all beings and ecological activism is necessary, like desperately right now. So being able to put together a conscious dance, I love to dance and move. I started taking dance classes when I was three years old. And, um, you know, we see life as a dance. We're both Pisces, so we can see ourselves as little fishies in the current or little dancers on the dance floor pretty easily and you know just being able to be on the earth dancing to me is is just a gift of the, a magical gift of existence it's such an honor and um you know every single day is earth day but april 22nd they declared would be a particular holiday when people um think of the earth so you know I, uh, I will lead a compassion practice at the start of that, that I hope there will be a lot of people present to do and becoming more confident to lead practices for larger and larger groups of folks um, is part of my, my journey, you know, just stepping out there and being vulnerable. So, you know, the personal part is probably that I still get nervous. I still feel really vulnerable. I just know I have to do this. Like I've got a fire, you know, in my being and, I see the Quinson's project and the Courageous Compassion Connection as these means by which I get to do this work, which is, is really quite an, quite an honor for me. And I still have to do my own kind of self-coaching because I'm, I'm not really a hubris individual. I'm much more of a humble individual. So I still get like a little freaked out by the, the scope of all of it. Thank you very much, Juliet, <laughs> for a lot of yeah. things. But thank you very much for... Uh, our conversation today. It's been very enlightening for me. So thank you. Yes. Always delighted to have these continued conversations. Yay. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere like a hologram of cosmic consciousness 